You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Interstate Batteries offers a wide variety of batteries for your everyday needs. Stop into one of their thousands of retail locations and talk with a battery specialist about batteries for your truck, trail cameras, and even those weird batteries for your rangefinder. Interstate Batteries even offers cell phone repair in certain locations. For more information, visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin-cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. What is going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Wisconsin Sportsman Podcast, which is brought to you by Tacticam. This is your home for all things outdoors in the Badger State. I'm your host, Josh Raley, and I am fresh off of a pretty great little week of vacation with the family. So we went to the mountains in North Georgia, enjoyed some uh, 4th of July fireworks. We enjoyed some trout fishing. We enjoyed some time at a lake, a little bit of hiking, some actually pretty decent temperatures while we were there, surprisingly. Actually cooler than what a lot of folks have been experiencing Uh, in Wisconsin here lately, but had a wonderful time with the family. That's why you did not get an episode from me last week, but that was the last interruption that we should be having for the foreseeable future. Um, Maybe. There may be a change or two coming that may create a little bit of an interruption, but I'll be around. Uh, We'll see. We'll see how things go. But anyway, I am so excited to bring you this episode this week. I had a chance to catch up with Melissa Perrick and Kevin Thusius of the Ice Age Trail Alliance. Now, certainly if you live in Wisconsin and you do much of anything outdoors, you know of the Ice Age Trail. You've probably seen the signs around. But if you're like me, you didn't quite understand a lot of the significance for wildlife and habitat and even a lot of the management that the Ice Age Trail Alliance is involved in. So I wanted to have them on to talk about all the recreational opportunities, but also how this plays into conservation in the state of Wisconsin. We had a fantastic conversation, including the history of the trail and and what Kevin and Melissa do uh, with the Alliance and how volunteers can get involved. If you wanna learn more, you can head over to their website, iceagetrail.org. And there they have tons of resources for those who either want to hike the trail or just learn more about the Ice Age Trail Alliance and what they do. As we get rolling here with the meat and potatoes of the episode, I do wanna say thanks to our partners. First up, Tacticam. They're the title sponsor of the show. And I want to feature a product this week that I have not really talked about as much. But if you are in Wisconsin, certainly this time of year, you've got velvet bucks on the brain. At least if you're a deer hunter, right? Uh, Their Spotter LR is a fantastic tool for scouting velvet bucks in the summer. What the Spotter LR is, is a camera that attaches to your 
uh, to your long range spotting scope. It is a 4K camera that is small, it's portable. It works really, really well uh, if you're a Western hunter, absolutely. But man, if you're east of the Mississippi and you've got some bean fields or some crop fields to glass during the summer or heading into the fall, this is gonna be an awesome tool for you. It's got 4X digital zoom. The battery life is incredible, takes up to 128 gigabyte micro SD memory card, and it comes with multiple shim sizes so that this thing is gonna fit on pretty much any spotting scope out there. This is also a really helpful tool if you are uh, you know, getting things dialed in at long ranges this summer, whether you're shooting your bow long range or your rifle long range. This is gonna be a really helpful tool so that you can keep that focused on the target and see where each arrow hits. Right now, it's 150 bucks. I do not know of a true 4K camera that you can get for 150 bucks. So you need to go check this thing out. You can pick one up at tacticam.com. Next up, Huntworth. We are quickly heading into the early season. And for years, I was unhappy with my early season gear. If I found something that was light and, and airy and wasn't gonna be too hot in the early season, it wasn't durable. If I found something durable that was going to stand up to what I put it through, then it wasn't light, it wasn't airy, and it didn't keep me cool. Huntworth has helped me feel that need, uh, especially with the Durham lightweight pants. I love those things. I wear them all summer long, whether I'm scouting, hiking, hanging stands, planting food plots, whatever it is I'm doing, those pants are on me at all times because they help keep me cool. They've got just enough stretch to uh, you know, make them a little bit more comfortable than a pair of jeans would be. So you can go over to their website, huntworthgear.com and grab some early season gear right now. Then finally, the Onyx Hunt app. Obviously, July and August are uh, some of my favorite months to be doing some uh, map scouting because I don't necessarily want to be tromping around through the woods this time of year, but I do love to sit on my couch, scout out new areas, and pick new spots where I might want to go and check them out this fall doing a little bit of in-season scouting. One of their tools that I'm using right now, or one of the features that I'm using right now, is the area shape tool. So when helping landowners plan out their food plot program with the uh, habitat consulting that I do, it's very, very important that we know precisely how large their food plots are. And so I use the area shape tool on Onyx to get a precise understanding of how big those food plots are so we know how much fertilizer, how much lime, and how much seed we need to purchase. And that is just one of the many, many features that makes Onyx stand out and make it my tool of choice, whether I'm hunting private land or public land. And hey, if I'm just being honest, it gives me the confidence to be able to do the kind of traveling and the hunting in new places that I do uh, without having to worry about whether I'm going to find a spot or find my way out. You can learn more on their website, onyxmaps.com, or you can go to the app store of your choice and just search for the Onyx Hunt app. Now, with all that stuff out of the way, let's jump right into this episode, talking about the Ice Age Scenic Trail and the Ice Age Trail Alliance with Melissa Perrick and Kevin Thusius. All right, for this week's episode of the Wisconsin Sportsman Podcast, I have Melissa Perrick and Kevin Thusius from the Ice Age Trail Alliance. How's it going today? Well, great. Doing well, thanks. Yeah, thank you guys for coming on the show. I really appreciate that. Uh, I want to start off with this. I think a lot of folks that maybe listen to my podcast who are hunters or fishermen uh, maybe, you know, on the more, uh, as you called it, Kevin, a minute ago, the hook and bullet crowd of, uh, of outdoorsmen in Wisconsin. Uh, tell us a little bit about what the Ice Age Trail Alliance is, because uh, they probably show up to a parking lot, see some signs and walk on about their business, maybe don't know 100% what the trail is. So let's, let's kick it off with what is this trail and what is the Ice Age Trail Alliance? 
So the Ice Age Trail Alliance is the member and volunteer organization that creates, no, conserves, creates, maintains, and promotes the Ice Age National Scenic Trail. Ice Age National Scenic Trail is a 1,200-mile footpath throughout the state of Wisconsin. It starts at Interstate, well, there's two terminuses of the trail. One's at Interstate State Park um, in St. Croix Falls. And then the other terminus is at Potawatomi State Park in Sturgeon Bay. The trail goes between those two terminuses, drops down as far as Janesville in Rock County. Man, so it, it covers quite a bit of uh, diversity within within Wisconsin. I mean, that's that's quite a range. Yeah, it does. Uh, it's the trail. It's about 685 miles that we say are open, signed, ready for the public to go and use tomorrow. And we're still working on closing up some of those uh, 500 or so miles of gaps, trying to get uh, uh, sections that we recommend road walks because some people do hike the entire 1,200 miles. And uh, we're trying to close up some of those gaps so they can be off-road on, on nice scenic uh, properties as they uh, traverse the entire Ice Age Trail. Yeah, so for, those, for those who are doing the, the full 1,200 mile, they're, uh, what are they doing throughout these portions? They're road walking, they're uh, crossing their fingers, hoping for the best for some of it. How, how does that look? Yeah, I mean, you know, you, you talk about the, the North Woods part of the trail, and it's very remote. You're going through the Shemwanigan Nicolay National Forest for part of the segment, other Chippewa County Forest, Russ County Forest, you know, places where you will not see another hiker for days sometimes. Wow. Um, and it, so it's this really rural, remote feeling. But then you start getting into the southern portion where you will, the trail goes through the communities of Verona, Janesville, Milton, Heartland, Delafield. So you have almost, you know, an urban walk um, where you are walking along sidewalks. Um, but then, you know, you start going into the eastern part of the state and up through the kettles, the northern or the southern and northern kettles. And then, you know, we have a portion about 10 miles that runs right along Lake Michigan. So you actually walk along a beach for a couple miles, I think. So you, you get it all, you know, and in between you're hitting prairies, um, the southern part of the state, again, like Dane County, um, lots of prairie restoration has been happening. So you, yeah, when you're on the trail, it is a significantly different feel on the south and the east and then up to the north. So it's, it's, it's amazing. Wow. Yeah. The people that do hike that entire 1200 miles that want to hike, you know, between sections, either through hike and start at one end, go to the other end. Um, they will hike all the road walks. Um, the road walks, you know, you think, Oh, they got to walk down rural roads, but everybody that's finished the trail or done the full uh, 1200 miles has come back and said how much they've enjoyed the road walks. They put them in contact with, uh, farmers who are out, uh, you know, tending their, their, their cow. And, um, you know, they, they run across a lot of great people along the roadways too. So, uh, and you know, these are kind of rural, less traveled roads often, and they are scenic as well. Uh, we still want to get the trail off of those roads eventually, but in the meantime, uh, it's not a bad experience for those that have done it. Sure. Very good. Well, let's take a pause now. I mean, we, we know kind of what the, uh, what the Ice Age National Scenic Trail is. We know what the Alliance is. What about you guys specifically? What what are your roles with the Alliance? So I am the Director of Marketing and Community Relations, so it is my job to promote the trail and to communicate with all of our members and volunteers. 
Um, so it's really an exciting job to have. Um, you know, I came into the organization as a hiker. So when I, you know, I knew about the trail from hiking, I did not really understand the full scope of the volunteer side and the fact that, you know, we're, we're a national scenic trail. When I was, before I started working here, I just assumed that, oh, that meant National Park Service, you know, built the trail, maintained the trail. No, it's all volunteers and the volunteers that come from our office. So it's pretty cool to be able to promote what the volunteers accomplish. Yeah, that's really good. And uh, my role is a senior director of land conservation. I've been with the organization in many different roles for 22 plus years now. And uh, I have a lot of, I still have, wear a lot of hats. We're a nonprofit organization. Anybody that's known or worked with a nonprofit knows that everybody wears a lot of hats. And despite having the biggest staff that we've ever had, we're over, I think we're at 22 right now, um, we still wear a lot of hats. Um, but all of mine revolve around land conservation. I do advocacy work uh, to promote uh, land conservation. Um, I do land acquisition. Um, so I'm a key person in charge of acquisition for the organization. We also do quite a bit of management and stewardship of the properties that we, that we hold. Um, and Melissa mentioned earlier the variety of uh, uh, ecotypes that the property or that the trail goes through. So we do manage things like prairies and, and forests, and we do do logging on our property, uh, despite what some organizations might think. Uh, we know it's an important component both for the economy but also for the health of the forest, and the income doesn't uh, doesn't hurt either. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I definitely want to get more into that conservation piece and and hear. Um, you know, more about the, the, the land management side of things, what you guys are doing to maintain the trail. And then the acquisition part, like I, that part I, I wasn't familiar with uh, until Melissa and I exchanged some emails. I was like, oh, okay, there's a land trust piece of all of this that, that I definitely want to hear more about. But where did this trail come from? Like, how did it, I mean, it obviously didn't just magically appear. So how did we get from no Ice Age scenic, National Scenic Trail to where we are now? Long, long, complicated history. Not actually. Um, but it isn't goes that, back to isn't about that everything with, with, the, with the outdoors in the state of Wisconsin? How did we get to where we are? It's like long, long, complicated history. I mean, right. that's... Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No, it starts um, with a man named Ray Zilmer. He was a conservationist and an attorney, right, in the uh, Milwaukee area? Yeah. And he lived near the kettles and, and really kind of understood the significance of the, the kettle moraine area. And he was the first one to kind of envision the trail, but he envisioned it first as a thousand mile national park because he knew all of the, about this, the glacial significance in Wisconsin. And um, so the, the path, which back up a minute, the path of the trail roughly follows where the glaciers ended during the Wisconsin glaciation, which was the last full glaciation of earth, right? And that was 10 to 12,000 years ago. Um, and so Zilmer, Zilmer understood the, the geological significance and he had this idea for the national park. And um, he pitched the idea to people in the federal government and it got a little traction, but then Zilmer ends up dying and it kind of, the effort kind of goes quiet for a few years until um, a congressman named Henry Rice kind of picks up the effort and gets support for it. And the National Park Service that came in and, and said, well, 
we like the idea and we understand the glacial significance, but we're not interested in having a thousand mile national park. Um, and so, yeah, so Royce instead gets enough support for it that ultimately it, he gets it um, declared or not declared. Yeah. Declared as a national scenic trail in 1980. So president Carter signed legislation. So we became a national scenic trail. So we're like, the Appalachian Trail, Pacific Crest Trail, Continental Divide Trail, we are one of the 11 National Scenic Trails. Um, and so then in 1980, when did we become a state scenic trail? In 1987, we became a state scenic trail. And so then it became, you know, the DNR and the National Park Service and the Alliance. Its predecessor was the Ice Age Trail Park, Park and Trail Foundation. Yeah. Um, it, that, you know, they had started establishing segments, um, in the late fifties and then in the eighties, then it became more of a effort. Yeah. Our, our organizations as the uh, park and trail foundation started in uh, 1958. So the organization itself is, uh, what's 60. Yeah. I'm doing the math, right? 65 yeah. years old. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got to sell, we've got to sell yeah, this year. We've got a party yeah. in October. Um, so, uh, so yeah, we've been around a while and then we've been a land trust. We started acquiring lands in 1980. Um, and so we, you know, sort of slowly and surely realized that the park service and DNR weren't going to do the acquisition that they needed to do in order to finish this darn trail. And so the, um, you know, people that were working with us, then the volunteers and some uh, powerful individuals around the state were able to just start, uh, acquiring some land uh, for the trail. And, um, we continue that today. Wow. So talk to me a little bit about, uh, all that goes into piecing something like this together, because there are, there's not only land that you guys have acquired, but also, uh, lands that are previously public lands that I, I think some of them are just, you know, long-term or permanent leases on, on properties. So there's a lot that goes together to kind of, uh, I don't, I don't mean this in a negative way, but kind of piecemeal it all together, right? I mean, it, this is a huge endeavor. So tell me about some of the different kinds of lands that have been puzzled together. It's a giant puzzle is what it is, yeah. It is. It, it makes life uh, frustrating some days, uh, Josh, to be honest. <laughs> uh, try to piece those together. Um, so if you think broadly, if you think sort of like the, you know, using a Google map view and you start out really wide and you start narrowing down, um, the, the trail follows in generally the, the last edge of the last glaciation, except for in the eastern part of the state where it follows the inner lobate moraine. And then, um, but where does it go within that? How do you define it? So the first thing we do is we work with our partners, specifically in this case, the National Park Service, to do planning. Where should the trail go? How do we get from A to B? And we usually do that by county and it takes many, many years and it's a uh, a long process. Um, and then once we have a general idea of where it's going to go, where, you know, we start knocking on doors and start trying to develop, you know, the highlights. You know, oh, this is a great example of a glacial feature. We want to work with this landowner. So we knock on the doors and we look for willing landowners. Um, we don't use eminent domain and certainly SH Alliance couldn't, but even our partners who could don't and, and don't would ever plan on that. Um, so we have to go through and work with willing landowners. And we probably have another thousand or so to go, maybe 1200 to go in order to finish the trail. And, and how do we do that? Well, we walk up and we say, we work with between road sections typically. And we say, okay, we need, you know, three of these five to work with us in order to connect the trail from A to B. And uh, we just start uh, sending letters, talking to them, meeting them. Uh, hopefully one of our local volunteers knows them. So it'll get us, uh, you know, get us in to talk with the people. 
And uh, if, if they're willing to work with us, then we hope their neighbor is and their next neighbor is. And eventually we sort of build these, these let's say in this case, this hypothetical example, these, these three connections or these three landowners are willing to work with us. One might say, hey, I want to donate an easement, just a narrow corridor easement for the trail. Well, great. And the next owner says, well, I'm cashing out. I'm retiring. I want to sell my 40. And so they sell us the 40. We buy it. We pay, you know, pay full price for it. And the next one might say, well, I tell you what, I want to do some other sort of complicated uh, exam, uh, uh, life estate or something like that, where it might be more complicated. Uh, we, then it takes sometimes you know, years to pull those three deals together. And then at the end of the day, the hiker walks right through it. And, and if we've done our job, doesn't, doesn't know all that went into it, right? It's, wow. a, it's a seamless process uh, from their standpoint. And we do work with our partners. We have to work with a lot of partners. We work with uh, DNR specifically for some acquisition but also the counties and, you know, like we're in the village of Cross Plains. We worked with them on some acquisitions years ago that have created a, a really nice setting for the village residents. We come in and build and maintain the trail, we restore the land. Um, and so the, the benefits, the, in this case, the village um, and everybody that lives nearby uh, for, the, you know, out their back doors, but it also brings people to the community yeah. to recreate. Wow. Wow. So obviously in Wisconsin, I'm, I'm originally from the deep South. I moved to Wisconsin in the in January of 2020. So like one of the worst times to move anywhere. Um, you know, just had no clue what was five weeks away when we moved. Um, so made the move, <clears throat> and one of the first things that caught my attention, <clears throat> excuse me, when I got there was just the the number of outdoor opportunities. There's so much to do in Wisconsin. If you love to hike, you love to camp, you love to you know fish, you love to hunt, all of that stuff. There's so much going on. But the Ice Age National Scenic Trail is is pretty unique among a lot of the offerings. Can you just speak to just a little bit about what makes this one really, really special? I mean, I think some of that has come out already, but maybe even in just you guys' two opinions, like, you know, specifically to you, what makes the Ice Age National Scenic Trail uh, special and unique and, and a standout in Wisconsin? Well, I think, you know, I've been a Wisconsin resident for – majority of my life. I briefly lived down south for 12 years, but, um, you know, living here, I tend to go to the same places, right? I'll go to Madison, I'll go to Milwaukee, um, maybe Door County, but because of the trail, I've gone to a lot more places in the state, um, tiny towns, you know, that I never, ever would have gone to otherwise. And I think that is what is really cool about the trail is that it really does drive people to go to places that they never would have thought to go. And, you know, I tell people all the time when I'm talking about it, like it will take you to the most amazing places. Um, you know, I, every, and every time I'm on a new segment or a segment, you know, I've never hiked before. I'm like, Oh, this is so cool. This is so great. Um, just last week I was hiking a segment and, you know, I was like, wow, you know, what am I walking along? Because there was this huge hill up on the side. Um, I guess, what was I walking in a tunnel channel? Tunnel channel. Yeah, tunnel channel. Um, so I think I think that's what makes it, um, you know, unique and special is that it will, it will take you to places you never would have otherwise thought to go. Wow. Yeah. And I'll... That's a great one, Melissa. I, didn't, I hadn't thought of it that way. And I'm glad you asked for our opinions because um, mm -hmm. they're, they're different. And I, I don't think I've ever asked Melissa's opinion yeah. on that. So thank you. Um, the, uh, for me, I, I would say a couple of things. Um, uh, it's free for the most part. There are times when you have to, you know, if you're parking in a state property, you may have to have a state park sticker. But 
I, I love that people can go out and do without really any real special equipment, you know, a pair of decent shoes is really all you need. Um, uh, and, and get out and, and hike pieces of it. I think that's one thing. I think, I guess I have three, because I think the second thing is it's close to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. We did the stats, you know, we used our GIS layers, did the stats, and we found out that some, uh, and I don't remember it offhand, but some 15 million people live within two hours of the trail because it hits like northern suburbs of Chicago and Twin mm-hmm. Cities. And 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 just for, for me, I mean, I walk, I literally walk out my door and I can be on the trail in, wow. in seconds or minutes. And, and so, um, and I know my neighbor bought their house because specifically because it's near a segment of the trail. They love to hike and they hiked it all the time. And they saw the house for sale when they were walking on the trail. They're like, we want to live here. So, I mean, it really does. Uh, it's really local and it's, and it's really inexpensive. Um, and then I think the, the last one, um, which is how I got started on the trail. I mean, my first experience on the trail was, um, was in the North Catamaran State Forest and it was, uh, it was squirrel hunting with my dad. So we used it and I think a lot of people still use it as simply access uh, to get to places, whether it's hunting or a fishing spot or, um, or if it's just to their favorite lake to have a view or, or boy, we, I, mean, I have never seen so many big camera lenses since the pandemic hit. I mean, people are out <laughs> taking these amazing photos of birds and, and, and other things all the time and they're constantly going up and down the trail. So it provides, um, you know, the risk of being cliche, something for everybody. Yeah, and I think that's a good segue into what was going to be my next question. When it comes to, you know, if we think about a trail, right, like the first thing that comes to mind is, oh, we we can hike. Great. Um, But I think it provides access to a lot of other recreational opportunities. Can you just run me through what some of those might be? Sure. Yeah, I I would start from a point of acquisition because it's important to bring this up. Uh, We get a lot of our funding, you know, for acquisition anyways, from the state's Knowles Nelson Stewardship Program. It's a really strong program. It provides, they give grant money to nonprofits like us for half the value of an acquisition. So if it's, you know, if it's a hundred thousand dollar property, you know, they'll give us 50 and we'll have to raise 50. And so the state benefits. uh, And then because of that funding, it has to be open to things like hunting and fishing and trapping and all the other uses as well. And so, um, the state, on one hand, and the, and the public, I'll say, they get the benefit of, hey, we paid fifty thousand for a hundred thousand dollar property, um, and you know we got a good deal on that, and it's going to be open for all these uses. What are those uses? Well, I mentioned a few, um, you know, trout fishing specifically in a property. I'm thinking of right down the road here, uh, uh, fishing these kettle lakes, these little lakes in the middle of nowhere. Um, people are walking back there with their belly boats. They're walking on the Ice Age Trail. Um, I. Uh, my f- first place I deer hunted was on the North Country, another one of our national scenic trails, North Country National Scenic Trail. I had to walk in a mile on the North Country Trail to get to my hunting spot. Um, but nature photography is taking off. Uh, birding is a multi-billion dollar industry in this country. And uh, what we're finding is that now that the next hot thing in birding is, is, is uh, what I'm seeing anyways, is that it's a bird photography. People are getting these amazing images with their own photography. Um, and uh, uh, the other access thing would be uh, kids and students. We've got almost 10,000 fourth graders out on the trail this past year. 10,000 fourth graders. It's wow. like a, I think a quarter yeah. Yeah. on the trail this year, and, and, and we give them access. We, we've helped fund that through a, a National Park Foundation grant, but that was, um, you know, a, an educational platform. And a lot of those kids, you know, may never get to experience the trail otherwise. You know, they don't come from outdoorsy families, whatever. Um, 
They come from, you know, cities, you know, uh, so it's really, really exciting that program specifically because, you know, you're kind of planting a seed with these kids and showing them, you know, what's possible. Um, I was just talking to a little boy last night. I was at an event and he was probably like eight or nine years old and he came to the table and was wondering, you know, what's the trail? So we started talking to him about how, you know, one day you could hike the whole trail. I could go on an adventure. Yes, you could. You could go on an adventure. And he was just so funny. And then we told him, you know, you can also go to the library to find out more about the trail. I can. Yes. Um, so it's it's fun to yeah be able to spark the interest in little kids. Yeah. Um, Kevin, I was going to add too. Like you know, I know the trail becomes kind of a hot spot for people when they're out looking for like wildflowers. There'll be lots of chatter on Facebook about, you know, I was on a certain segment and I saw a certain flower. Um, so that's neat. People I think are going out to see things when they're blooming. Um, also lots of mushroom hunting, like people go out to look for different mushrooms. So um, yeah, it's, it's really interesting. The more you talk to people, the more you find out like these interests, right? There was a man I was talking to one time about salamanders and he knew the one segment like Mer- Merton or Manchas was certain time of year, lots of salamanders. And I'm like, Hey, you know, that's what gets you out on the trail. Have yeah. at it. Absolutely. Yeah. We do see a lot of uh, runners, joggers. There's a lot of events on the trail as well. And just this morning, I, uh, one ran past me who came down the trail, ran right past me this morning as I was leaving. And, um, uh, so they, you know, I think a lot of people use it for a lot of different reasons. And my husband, before I started working here, before I really realized what the trail was, um, for years, he'd been using a certain segment of the trail to prepare for elk hunting in Colorado. You know, he puts 50 pounds on his back and, and we'd go up and down and go hiking and then, Hey, that's the ice age trail. So that's pretty cool. Just want to take a quick minute to let you know that the Wisconsin sportsman podcast is brought to you by Tacticam makers of the best point-of-view cameras on the market for hunters and anglers. They're on the cutting edge, making user-friendly cameras to help the everyday outdoorsman share your hunt with friends and loved ones. Their new 6.0 camera has a ton of upgraded features this year, but the one I'm most excited about is the new LCD touchscreen. In my mind, that is a total game-changer. And one area Tacticam really shines is with their mounts and adapters that are made with the sportsman in mind. If you've tried to film your hunting and fishing excursions, You know just how frustrating it can be to try to get an action camera aimed just right or get it attached to your weapon or in a good spot for a second angle. Well, Tacticam makes all of that a breeze with their line of mounts and adapters. This fall, I'm going to be using their stabilizer mount on my bow with the 6.0 camera and their bendy clamp paired with the 5.0 wide camera for a second angle and to make sure I don't miss any of the action. To learn more and check out their full line of products, head over to their website, Tacticam.com, and share your hunt with Tacticam. What a great multi-use spot. I mean, one of, we, were, we used to uh, hike a portion of the trail near Brooklyn, and, you know, one of our favorite things to do was to just let our kids go. Like, it was, it was a place for us where we could just let them lead the way. We didn't have to worry about what they would stumble into or anything like that. It was just kind of like, all right, kids, explore. Like, here's the adventure. This is totally you-driven. You know, yeah. have a good time. And we just follow them around and make sure they didn't uh, – you know, run off into the into the woods like feral animals, um, but yeah, just just had a wonderful time with that. So um, this this has got to involve, and and I'm you alluded to it earlier, a significant volunteer force to keep all of this going, to keep it all together. What do uh, some of the volunteer opportunities look like? Like if you've, 
first of all, what what are some key things that your response your volunteers are responsible for? And then if folks are hearing this and they say, "Man, this sounds like a great opportunity on a fall afternoon to get out and you know spend a couple of hours improving you know my outdoor recreation around me," what are some of those opportunities for people? Yeah. So last year we had nearly three thousand volunteers, um, like you know, recorded volunteers with. Uh, more than 85,000 hours, volunteer hours. Wow. So the, yeah, the Ice Age Trail um, consistently ranks among the biggest parks in the national park system as far as volunteer hours. Um, you know, we've beaten Yellowstone before, volunteer wow. hours. So, um, you know, it's, it's really, really impressive. And when it comes to volunteerism, we always say there's something for everyone. Right. So Ice Age Trail Alliance is responsible for creating and maintaining the trail. So that's everything from, you know, actually creating tread to building boardwalks to lopping branches, sawing down trees. Um, I mean, like all sorts of things. Then we have a whole like the habitat restoration side where, you know, we'll ask volunteers to come out and pull weeds, to collect seeds, um, you know, cut down invasives. And then, you know, we have volunteers that come into our office and help us with, you know, sending out mailings. We have volunteers that go and table at events um, that lead hikes. Um, I mean, it runs the gamut. So it's like if, you know, we always say any age, any, you know, ability, we will find a role for you. Um, yeah. Yeah. My, my daughter was in yesterday volunteering by stuffing envelopes. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> so yeah, there's really a, a plethora of options out there for them to volunteer. The, the volunteers are broken up into um, locally into 19 uh, chapters throughout the state. So if they're in the northeastern part of the state near, you know, Lang Lake County, um, that, you know, there's a local chapter up there that they, that they could get involved with. And then we have these large-scale statewide events that Melissa's mentioned. We do more trail, trail building. Mm-hmm. The local volunteers are really, you know, keep that trail open, keep it mowed, keep it enjoyable for folks. Make sure the signage is good. If trees come down and knock on wood, we haven't had too many tornadoes or anything yet this year. The storms to close it up, but we've we've had to close down eight, ten miles of trail at a shop because of, of big storms until we get in there. So volunteers come in there and they're well trained. Um, we, we have a crew leaders training process and program. Uh, chainsaw safety program and so volunteers come in and a lot of them find that they just enjoy the the camaraderie um, from the volunteer experience and you know we've had some that are we just celebrated 50 years of volunteering with one volunteer uh, a couple of volunteers recently so um, but we have others that are you know I've been here 20 years and they were here when I started so you know the people you know volunteers come they're all all backgrounds um the very first volunteer event I ever worked, it was a super hot day in August. It was like 95 degrees, super high humidity. And we were out um, establishing new trails. So the first day, which is where I was at, we had to, you know, clear the like trail corridor. So lap a ton of brushes per brush and, and drag it into piles. And I'm standing, talking to the woman next to me. I'm like, oh, so, you know, have you done this before? No, you know, and I'm like, oh, are you a hiker? No. Okay, well, what do you what do you do? I'm a math teacher at the university. And I'm like, wow, what brought you out here today? Well, I just thought it would be fun. I'm like, wow, you thought it would be fun to come out to a 95 degree day and lock branches. But you know what? It was fun. Um, yeah. It's super hard work. 
Yeah. And, it, and it's amazing. Like every time I show up at an event, it's just, it's so neat to see the people and how dedicated they are um, to build this trail. Yeah. And, and I'm sure on a, on a 95 degree day, that's gotta be one of those things that you're, you're not necessarily looking forward to, but you never regret when you went. You know what I mean? Like it's, <laughs> it's one of those you, yeah. you you might struggle to get yourself excited to get out there, but once you're there, it's like, oh, this is wonderful. This is really good. So, um, no, and we do volunteer events all year long too. So it's not just the 95 degree days. We also have the minus 20 degree days that we oh, you know you sell trees and have burn piles and yeah. So I'll take the minus 20 over 95 any day. I yeah. much prefer the cold. Me too. <laughs> Uh, so, all right, the trail is not just uh, a significant boost for outdoor recreation in Wisconsin, but it's also uh, a huge part of conservation efforts, and specifically wildlife conservation in Wisconsin. I heard you even uh, in what you were saying, removal of invasives, uh, picking seeds and that kind of thing. Uh, tell me a bit about the conservation work and what this trail means to the wildlife in Wisconsin. Yeah, you bet. Um when I first started, we first started doing this, I, I thought like we were protecting this this corridor for like a national park corridor that was going to be a thousand miles or 200 miles long and, and you know, several miles wide. Um, that's just not, you know, reality. But I will say, um, and at the time I thought, oh boy, that was a sort of a, a misled uh, thought. Uh, however, in the last several years, I, I can see uh, a few examples that we have where the Ice Age Trail Alliance and its partners have been able to protect land and corridors in areas that we are doing what I call landscape level conservation, um, where there are significant impacts at a landscape level. Uh, we were just making a map here around uh, Cross Plains where uh, uh, several thousand acres have been protected a mile south and a mile north of Cross Plains. We have Black Earth Creek, which we mentioned earlier. It's got a great protection corridor. The crisscrossing that is the Ice Age Trail corridor. And then the village has done some protection. Ice Age uh, National Park Service, DNR, uh, Fish and Wildlife Service. You add all this up. And we do know that there are some rare species found on two or three of those properties. But I can almost assure you it's found on the other ones as well. If not, it will be when we continue the restoration efforts. So the trail does provide this real live landscape level conservation provides a corridor for people to travel, but of course it provides a corridor for game animals, rare and endangered plants and, and, and insects and, um, and others to travel up and down this corridor. And so I'm actually quite, quite proud of the effort that we've, we've collectively that we've put forward here over the years to, to make it so. And as we started looking at this in, around Cross Plains, we realized that there are several places in the state where this is happening. Um, you get up to the Northwoods and the big properties, you know, the county forest, that was, that was sort of there. But in this area around, you know, suburbia um, and in semi-rural areas, uh, the trail is really acting like a green belt. And we want to continue that, continue to do that. Um, there's no surprise that we've, we've seen, you know, bear and cross plains and, uh, and wolves and, and, and mountain lions not too far from here because I think both, you know, the, some of the highways and the Ice Age Trail I, I do provide that core. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, and I'm glad you mentioned, too, uh, that that topic of landscape level conservation, because so often as again, I'll, I'll go back the hook and bullet crowd. We think of conservation on mm, a lot of times a micro level. We think about our properties or, you, you know, this small section that we personally are managing or, you know, 
uh, trying to restore or whatever the case may be. But really, for a lot of species to truly benefit and thrive and flourish, we need what you're saying, that, that landscape level. We need a critical mass, right, when it comes to just the amount of property. Because it's amazing, even when it comes to a, a relatively small bird, let's say a, a turkey, right? I mean, it's a big bird, but in yeah. a big scheme of things, it's way smaller than a deer. But if you take their habitat and you smush it way, way down into suburbia, they're not going to do quite as well as a much larger animal, a white-tailed deer, you know, just because of, of what they need individually. Um, so you, you mentioned that you guys manage, uh, or I've seen on the website, manage a little over 4,000 acres. Uh, talk to me a little bit about some of what's going on with like prairie restoration, uh, invasive species removals, and maybe even some of the logging efforts that, that happen because those are really, really important as well. Yeah, I'd, I'd be happy to do that. Um, some of those acres are in easements, just to be clear, and we don't have full management rights. But a bulk, a large majority is is our lands that we own outright, and we do have the the ability to manage them fully. And uh, the ones that we do manage, um, which is you know south, southern part of the state, we do more management than the northern part. That's just a, a product of of more invasives, frankly, down here than up there. But yep. we're starting to see more invasives creep north, and we're starting to do more management work. Last October, we hired a land restoration specialist just to specifically help with uh, this process. Um, so uh, prairie restoration. Sometimes we find we get a property, we even acquire properties maybe or more of a property when we think there's a nice habitat. And uh, so we restore remnant prairies if there's something remnant there to the degree we, we are able. And then in some cases, we've converted old agricultural fields to a prairie or a warm season grass uh, field, and so in some cases, even cool season grass field, which, um, which does benefit some other species. We look at the, um, the property in and of itself, but we also look at neighboring properties, whether they're owned by you know, this partner or, or maybe even a private landowner who's got it in a, in a program like MFL, Managed Forest Law. Um, you know, so we can, we can try to mimic what's next door in some cases. Um, as we move further north and get out of the prairie, starting to get to more into to woodland management, and uh, of our of our properties and preserves um we do uh let's see i'm trying to think in the uh, we've got a, a couple of logging uh, projects set up here in the next year or two some properties we acquired that require logging we acquired that have an mfl contract on it so we're, we're following through with that other ones we've sought um, logging ourselves to try to create a landscape that is more resilient to any sort of uh, um, large-scale climate effects mm -hmm. so i mean i think we um we can see it already in some of these, you know, uh, uh, ash trees aren't going to make it any longer in the north, right? The boar is moving north, so uh, get what you can out of it now. Um, it's not going to, their ash trees, unfortunately, just aren't going to make it on this preserve that I'm thinking of. So we're getting those out. We're pushing it a little bit more toward uh, oak because it does have an oak component. Oak is pretty resilient, and so we are, are pushing that particular property toward oak. So we're doing a logging on that property in that, in that particular case. Um, and then we have another one where um, this was planted in pines in the, I don't know, 60s or 70s, and it wasn't logged properly, and it's essentially a monoculture. And we're in the middle of a about a five-year process of, of cutting out all the pine and replacing it with hardwoods, mixed hardwoods, wow. uh, because that is what the surrounding thousand acres like. If you look at an aerial view, it's just beautiful hardwoods, rolling hills and forests, and this patch of about 34 acres of, of pine trees. It just They don't wow. fit in. So we've decided to, to take on a pretty big effort and we luckily we got some funding for that. Otherwise we wouldn't be able to some private funding for that and some public funding, I think on that one too. Now, 
Um, but anyways, we are, we're, we're, we're looking to restore that to, um, what is, uh, Northern hardwoods. Wow. And then, yeah. And then we, um, we just got a grant too. Uh, this is kind of an exciting one to become, uh, a seed orchard seed incubator. So we are, uh, we already collect some seed, we process it and turn around and put it in the prairies. Uh, but we got a grant that is going to allow us to do, to buy some equipment and one of our preserves and be, and then we're going to grow in the agricultural fields that are currently there. We're going to start growing some native seeds and clumps and, you know, patches, maybe even rows, uh, in order to harvest that and plant elsewhere along the trail and on partner properties. Wow. That's huge. I'm, we're seeing some of that in the South, some locations that are, I mean, the, the South used to be grasslands like you know before uh before the big pine plantations moved in and we turned everything to pine trees and we're starting to see some of that so that's really exciting to hear that there's some of that going on there as well very very good stuff um talk to me a little bit about resources right like if people have you know had their appetite peaked as they've listened to this episode they want to learn more where would you point them i would point them first to iceagetrail.org that is our website that contains um really good maps of the trail, um, interactive maps, and then, you know, information about volunteer opportunities, information about all of our volunteer chapters. Um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's the resource to visit. Um, after that, we do publish an atlas and a guidebook. Um, so if you are into hiking and want that information, I would get a guidebook and, and or an atlas. Um, we also have um, the Far Out app has the Ice Age Trail maps on it, which is, you know, seems to be the way people are going now. Just have the map on your phone. Um, so, yeah, I think those are the, the big three things for resources. Yeah, and I'll add in, too, we, uh, we allow hunting on most of our properties mm-hmm. and fishing on, I think, all of them. Um, I don't think we've ever disallowed fishing. There's some properties that maybe don't allow hunting along, along the trail or in some spots or around buildings. But for, by and large, um, hunting is allowed uh, by the general public. Um, but regardless, we have it all, anything that you can find is on an interactive map. You can look at the property and see if where hunting is allowed on, on that. Um, I will add that oftentimes uh, folks are confused. They, they think they look at the DNR map or they look at us as DNR, the Department of Natural Resources here. DNR has a heck of a lot more land and manages a lot more land than we do, uh, and including for the Ice Age Trail. So oftentimes you've you look on OnX, you know, one of the popular apps, uh, it says Ice Age Trail, but if you look further, it's owned by the state. And so the, yeah. we get a lot of calls on that. And, and unfortunately, we just say, I'm sorry, we direct you to the state. So if folks are listening to this podcast and starting to do their research right now um, and know that um, oftentimes it might be a state-owned property, and hence we would send you to, the, to DNR for that information. Yeah, so dig, dig a little bit deeper. If you've got Onyx, it's down there at the bottom. Just scroll a little further. Scroll a little bit further. You'll find it'll say DNR, and uh, you'll know yeah. who to call. So, uh, well, guys, as you look toward the next, let's say, five, ten years of the trail and, and everything that's being accomplished, uh, what's most exciting to you? Oh, what is most exciting? I think just that people are finally starting to take note of the trail, right? Um, We we still have an identity problem, but more and more people um, are discovering the trail. And, you know, what we know to be true is once you discover a segment, then you look at another segment, then you look at another segment, and suddenly you're going to want to hike the entire trail. 
So just the momentum, I really feel the last couple of years, we really have a, a good momentum. Um, and, you know, that's leading to our ability to acquire more land, which will, you know, leads eventually to having more trail. Um, so, you know, it's like I, I look forward to just closing the gaps even more, you know, accelerating the rate at which we're closing the gaps, I think. And, you know, one day look forward to a complete trail. Yeah. We'll be done in five years. Oh yeah, yeah, Mark five years. <laughs> <laughs> uh-uh. No, no, don't. don't. Yeah. Call it now. We'll, we'll <laughs> but um, I wish I could say that. But I would, I would second everything Melissa said there. I, I think that we have a great. We pandemic was good for for business uh, on the trail. Yep. If, yeah, unfortunately, but but fortunately, and um, and and we have so many more people out using it. And now we have to, as an organization, we have to ensure that we can handle their those folks and make sure the trail can handle them and make sure that we're giving them a good product to walk, to enjoy. Um, if we do that, um, we're going to continue to be successful as uh, for the, the trail will continue to be useful, you know, used and enjoyed by a lot of more people. Um, and then when it comes to the, the protection, I think the, the way we're going to see the next five or 10 years, the way we're going to see that incremental jump, you know, a big, you know, a significant jump would be is if our partners uh, really start helping with more acquisition. And that is specifically the DNR, uh, to a lesser degree, the National Park Service, and then a handful of other counties and, uh, you know, villages that we've worked with throughout the state. Very good. We are an accredited land trust. We, you know, we've, we're nationally accredited. We're going to, we're renewed in 20, we're, well, we're going to renew next year. So, you know, we are a land trust. We do this ourselves, but um, we have to work with, we work with about three right now. I would love to work with about four others uh, in order to um, overlap our interest with their interest and, and, and try to work in different parts of the state. So, we need more partners in order to get it done for sure. Very good. Very good. Melissa, Kevin, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Uh, you know, if folks want to find anything more, obviously we'll send them to the website, but any other places that they should go to check out, either keep up with you guys or anything like that. I mean, you know, we're on all the socials. We're on so our uh, Instagram and Facebook. Um, so they can follow us on ice age trail there. Um, yeah, we have a really, um, engaged audience on Facebook. So if there are any questions about, you know, hunting, hiking, you can just ask a question on Facebook and you'll get a ton of answers. So, um, yeah, suggest that. Awesome. Awesome. Well, guys, thanks for coming on the show. Appreciate it. Thanks, Thanks, Josh. Have a great day. That's all for this week's episode. As always, thank you so much for tuning in. If you dig this show, be sure to subscribe to this podcast, wherever it is that you get your podcasts. While you're at it, if you could leave me a five-star review, I would very much appreciate that. You can also follow along with my outdoor adventures on Instagram at the Wisconsin Sportsman or at How to Hunt Deer. That's also the best way to get a hold of me. Suggest topics, guests, or questions that you'd like me to explore on the show. Big thanks to our partners, Tacticam, Huntworth, and Onyx. Please go support the brands that support this show. And if you're looking for more great outdoor content, check out the sportsmansempire.com where you'll find my other podcast, the How to Hunt Deer podcast, as well as a ton of other awesome outdoor podcasts. And until next time, make sure you make the time to get outside and enjoy the incredible natural resources that are ours as Wisconsin sportsmen.